You're listening to Coldo D Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Our services are every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. For more information, like us on Facebook or visit our website at coldod.org. Last week we looked at how we can be Rizpahs and we can step up and sacrifice on behalf of our people like she did. What an amazing woman. Until the water pours on us from heaven, 2 Samuel 21, verse 10. Until the, in other words, the rains came, she stepped up and sacrificed. And uh, we can be David's, we learned, again, seeking the face of God on behalf of his nation. And together, Rizpah and David, their actions together ended the famine, or really it was a drought that was occurring in Israel. So, uh, Father, we pray you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word even now. Speak to us through your through the scriptures, God, through your eternal word, which is forever settled in heaven, which never, heaven and earth will pass away. Your words will never pass away. Thank you, Lord, for it, to guide us, to convict us, to transform us. Speak to us. Amen in Yeshua's name. So remember these last four chapters of 2 Samuel, verse chapters 21 through 24, were added as an appendix or appendices, uh, and not necessarily in are not necessarily in chronological order. Um, so this song, the chapter 22 that we're looking at, is the same poem you may notice as you look at it as Psalm 18 except with some variations, some minor variations. Uh, <clears throat> and so, this is, as it, here's the heading here, says David's song of valor, his last words. But this song, I would say, is David's favorite song because he compiles his thanksgiving to God, his praises to God for all his deliverances throughout his lifetime. And he's Put it, compiling all this into one incredible song. Now, some of the rabbis believed he sung this song many times, different times during his life. We don't know. Or put them together at some point. But we know this is probably near his end, and he's singing this song that's recorded for us. Now, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks into what? The heart. Correct. On, on the heart or into the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. God doesn't see as we see, as man sees. And that's the phrase before that that it says. The Lord doesn't see as man sees. But God sees into the heart. David had a heart that was like God's. In chapter 13, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. He said he has a heart like me, like God's. And we've seen how God used the most unusual people. Last week, Rizpah, Saul's concubine. And God continues to do so. Some people are forever focused on other people's sins and failures. In their amazing opinion, these people are not deemed worthy to be used by God. People whose life experience has been very protected and isolated may find themselves making quick judgments, rapid judgments, when seeing others who are different than them. Have you noticed that? Who are outside of their world, depending on where you grew up and how 
much you have seen of others and different. I wonder what we might have thought or how we might have reacted if we'd met some of these people in the Bible. If we'd met the bloody warrior David, he's probably not like the picture you think. He was a rugged guy. He loved God, but he was a rugged warrior. Killed a lot of people in, his, in, in warfare. Or if we'd met concubine Rizpah, or prostitute Rahab, or young, single, pregnant Miriam, or cowardly, scaredy cat Gideon, <laughs> or pouting, whiny Jonah, <laughs> or smelly John the Immerser, John the Baptist, or lying Abraham, or conniving, deceitful Jacob, or boastful Joseph, older, Old Testament Joseph, Genesis Joseph, or angry, temper-losing Moses, or of course, Mr. Moral Samson, or Mr. Meek Paul, the Apostle Paul, very meek fellow at certain times in his life. <laughs> I mean, I think he would have been hard to be around. I think a lot of, bunch of these people would have been very difficult to be around. If we actually met them and interacted with them, they would have said, what? You know, like I thought you were. God uses people on the basis of him seeing their heart available to him and their heart broken before him. And they go through a lot for that to, to happen. We all have to go through a lot for any of that to happen. David spoke to the Lord, look at verse 1, the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. My goodness, this psalm or song did not come overnight. It came over the course of David's lifetime. The caves, the cliffs, the thorns, the desert, the javelins, the stones. Remember the guy, Jimmy I, stoning, throwing stones at him? The arrows. After so much betrayal and defection and heartbreak that David went through, this song came through all of those life experiences. And it took a long time for David to be freed from all his enemies and from Saul. This was likely composed toward the end of his life. God had been faithful throughout all those difficulties and pains, but he didn't know it when he was going through them, how faithful God was necessarily, and we oftentimes don't until afterwards, right? Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained thereby in Hebrews chapter 12, right? Afterwards. Afterwards, You don't see it when we're going through it. But Paul could say, David could say, as Paul did later on, now we know that all things, that 85% of things work together for, good, for those who love God and are called according to His what? purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what God is doing in your life 
and my life. He's shaping us into the likeness, making us more like Yeshua. When we see him, we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. But it's happening now in part, and it's and he's preparing us. And he wants to give us rewards, by the way, at the Bema, at the judgments. He wants to be able to, the more we're like him here, the more he, we let him do that here, the more we'll have the rewards there, really. The gold, silver, and precious stones, costly stones, rather than the wood, hay, and straw in 1 Corinthians 3. And so, Philippians 1, 6, David could say, being confident of this very thing, as Paul says here, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He'll carry it on to completion until the day of the Messiah, Yeshua. David had composed other songs throughout his life. We know that. For example, Psalm 3, when he fled from Absalom, his son, who he never would attack, he would never lift his hand against him, even despite all he did to him. Psalm 51, when Nathan, Nathan the prophet, came to him about Bathsheba, that's when it, about his sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm, 50, Psalm 54, he wrote, when the Ziphites came and told Saul of David's hiding among them. But this song that we're reading about here, which, again, is similar to Psalm, it's mostly Psalm 18, it's the same thing, but little variations. This psalm, this song was of praise, was for all the salvations David had experienced. Now, are you a songwriter? We're in Nashville. <laughs> Everybody's a songwriter, right? Or thinks they are. But you are. You are or can be or should be and should be. Every one of us. You say, I don't have a good voice. I don't care. You say, I can't play guitar or piano or any or violin or mandolin like mine. I can't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are a songwriter according to what God has called us, given us, and what he's promised. Let me give you the verse. In, in uh, <clears throat> This song here is, the word is sheer for song. It means to sing out in poetic form. Sheer. Let's say sheer. Sheer. And the word, when he says David wrote this song, it's Hashira Hazot. It's in the feminine, Hashira Hazot. It's this song, it's feminine because, maybe because it's a response to God's Spirit, I think. Feminine response to God's Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, and do not get drunk on wine. You don't need to get drunk on wine. For that is recklessness. Instead, be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. Let's say the Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's the result of that? What's going to happen when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. There it is. So we can make music in our hearts to the Lord. You don't have to be, it may not be published, <laughs> but it can be published in heaven. It'll be published by the Lord if it's out of your heart and it's beautiful to the Lord. Making music in our heart to the Lord. And so we are told to sing a new song to the Lord. Psalm 96, verse 1. Psalm 98, verse 1. All celestial and terrestrial creation will one day be singing a new song to him in Revelation 5.9. Did you know that? Everything, every creature, heaven and earth, 
will be singing a new song to the Lord. It's, oh, it's, I can't, that scene in Revelation 5 is amazing to see that. Everyone, everyone's mentioned. Is there a limit to how many songs can be composed? Think about it. Is there a last song? Well, that's the last one. We're out of notes. We're out of melodies. There's no more harmonies, no more syncope combinations. And it's impossible. Last song. Can you picture that happening? Of course not. Isn't it amazing music? There's always. A, and so God can put it in your heart. Many times you can write a song. I like to take the psalms, you know, and, and those psalms were songs. And, and, and the Lord give you a, write a song, sing it to the Lord. And do you notice when you sing something, you remember it? Many times the lyrics, as I've said before, there's many songs before I knew the Lord that, I, that are in my mind and in yours because we, songs that I wish the lyrics weren't still there, but they're there. But we, can, we want to sing godly melodies and put them in our hearts and minds. One might ask this question, did Yeshua sing or write songs to God? I'm sure that he did. We're commanded to, in the Psalms, to sing to God. So I'm sure that he did. I'm sure when he hiked in the desert and when he went up to the mountains to pray, I'm sure he did. We know that he sang the Hallel at Pesach, at Passover, with his disciples. The Hallel, the Psalms 113 through 118, traditionally sung at uh, on, at that time, and it's recorded he sang with the disciples, Matthew 26 and Mark 14, both recorded. But just because the gospel accounts don't record it, doesn't mean it didn't occur beyond that. For example, they don't record him eating bagels with cream cheese and lots, but we know he did. He had to. <laughs> Actually, probably hummus and tahina and, <laughs> and a good Mediterranean salad, Israeli salad. But <laughs> But I'm sure he did. The Holy Spirit, here's the principle. The Holy Spirit fills us, right? When we're filled by the Holy Spirit, it results in singing toward God. If you're not ever singing to God, you may not be experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, the Ruach, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making music in your heart to the Lord. And also, the Word of God fills us. It says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Messiah dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, singing with gratitude, singing with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. So we have the word and the spirit, right? Someone once said, some Bible teacher said, if you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. If you have the spirit without the word, you blow up. If you have the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. That was a good little thing. It's easy to remember. But it's true. John 4, listen to Yeshua's words in John 4, 23 and 24. An hour is coming, he said, Yeshua says, but is here now, is here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people as his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The Word and the Holy Spirit together. The Spirit, I like Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Spirit, in other words, the Word of God needs to be guided, directed by the Holy Spirit. God speaking through it, not just, we know many people read the Bible as literature and don't necessarily have the Holy Spirit, our experience of spirit. 
So many songs are in the Tanakh. 150 psalms alone, of course. The priestly choir, remember, the Kohanim, the Levitical choir, singing and many instruments. In the New Covenant, in the Brit Hadashah, there are some significant songs, always related to being filled with the Word and the Spirit. It's interesting. We're not going to look at them now, but I just mentioned some. Elizabeth in Luke 1, 41 through 45. Miriam in Luke, in, all in, here in Luke 1, 46 through 55. Zechariah, Zechariah the priest, the Cohen, father of John in Luke, in, further on in Luke 1, 67 through 79. Simeon in Luke 2, 25 through 32. Yeshua possibly, I think when it says he rejoiced in the Spirit in Luke 20, 10, 21, uh, perhaps, and in Pesach, Pesach, Peter and Silas in prison. What an amazing story that is, isn't it? In Acts 16, 25, remember, they were in prison and pain and bleeding, and, and they said they sang that song, you know, at midnight. They, the prisoners heard them, and the prisoners heard them as they were singing to the Lord in their pain. And what a beautiful thing. And then the seventh one I wrote, the, the 24 elders, Revelation 5, verses, 20, verses 8 through 10, and in Revelation 5, it's, it first it mentions the 20, I'm going to turn there real quick to see it, but it first mentions the elders, 24 elders in verses 8 through 10, 8 through 10, four groups here, three groups. Eight, the, the, the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of, off, uh, of incense to the prayers to the and they are all singing a new song. Shir Hadash or Shirah Hadashah, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. You were slain, Lord, from, and by your blood you're redeeming for, you redeemed for God those of every tribe, kin, tongue, and people and nation. Oh, God loves the nations. God loves diversity. God loves the, uh, the every language and, and uh, cares about all, uh, everyone. And it says, you have made them for, uh, for our God a kingdom and Kohanim, and they shall reign upon the earth. And then a second group, verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Their number was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, and they were chanting with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Let's say, worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Hallelujah. We're going to be singing it up there. Let's sing it now as well. Boy, and give honor. And then a third group, verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them responding to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb they're singing and be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever who's saying, Amen, through all worship. Oh, what a scene that's going to be. Can't wait. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. Oh, boy. Can't wait. Sing a song. Sing a new song to the Lord. David mentions in Second Samuel 22, again, God is his life. God was David's life. All that he went through, God was first. Colossians 3, 4 says, when Messiah, who is, who is our life, is revealed, we also will be with him. And you see how much the Lord is really central in David's life. And he mentions ten 
verses, I count 10 here, that describe God's strength. God's strength. I'm going to, it'll be on the screen for you in the Hebrew, but uh, also, uh, <clears throat> these are metaphors describing his strength. All right? And many, many believe, rabbis, some believe these were 10 representative of the 10 enemies which David was saved from. Not Absalom his son, because he never considered him an enemy, even though he, he, what he did to him was amazing. But Saul, Doeg, Ahithophel, Sheva, Shmi, Zoya, Zoba, rather, Goliath and his three brothers. Zola was the king of Aram. Goliath and his three brothers. All these people. And David, interesting, there's, he has ten hallelujahs of the last five psalms. Beginning of the psalm and the end of the psalm. Hallelujah. Let's say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Beginning and the end. See, he's praising God for rescuing him from his, all his enemies. And it seems the number ten is here for David. So here's the metaphors God he uses of God. He says he's my rock. Selah. Let's say selah. Selah. This, this is a, there are two words for rocks here. This one is, the other one is sewer. But selah is a high, elevated rock. And I'm going to run through them quickly, but Matsur is my fortress. Mats, I'm sorry, Matsur is fortress. And the fortress, we think of, uh, is a refuge in times of danger. But it's also a base from which to attack the enemy. So it's not only defensive, it's offensive as well. And then you're my deliverer. Palat. Uh, Palat is the root. It means to break me out, to escape, to escape. And then he says, you're my God. Uh, for, I'm just giving you the roots, not the, the, the form. Uh, but Elohim, of course. Elohim, I'd say Elohim for God. Elohim, right? Uh, plural, of course, man. My rock, there's the word sewer. Let's say sewer. All right, it's a, a, a sewer, compressed, sharp rock. All right? And my shield, Magan, let's say Magan. Magan David, the star of David is called the star, the shield of David, really. It's the shield. Uh, and it, it means protection. It's, he's my shield, my protection. Uh, God told Abraham, you, uh, I, am your, I am your shield, and you're exceedingly great reward in Genesis 15. The shield is protects against arrows and stones. And, and, uh, and you're my horn. Keterman is the word for horn. The, core, the idea is upward. The horn of my salvation. Uh, this word, Yasha, is the root of Yeshua, salvation. salvation. Saving from an existential threat. The horn was a weapon that the animal used. Picture it. The horn, uh, it, it would gore. The animal could gore their, those who threatened it with its horn. So this is, you're the horn of my salvation. And it could also be as used as a trumpet, uh, sounding a victory, blast, the trumpet blast of victory in Shofar. Then, number eight, you're my uh, misgav. Misgav is a tower, my stronghold, my tower reaching to great heights and, and very strong tower. My refuge is the next one, the ninth one, my trumps. My manot, rather, my notes. And it means a place of elevation, hiding me again, a place of elevation, hiding me. And then lastly, he uses Yasha, again, Yeshua, the salvation. You're my savior in this case, my rescuer, my rescuer. The Lord is my life. He's everything. He's all of these things. Think about how we can sing about all that God has done for us and what he, who he is to us. In verses 18 through 20, he says, He delivered me from my powerful enemy, from those who hated me. 
they were much stronger than me. I love that verse. They were much stronger than me. They came against me in the day of my calamity, he says. Uh, in other words, it's, it's all over. They like have said many times in his life. He thought, this is it. This is the end. I'm done. It's over for me. But he says, the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a wide open place. The Hebrew word there means a widened and a large place. In other words, he could maneuver or he could maneuver against the enemy. He had liberty freedom again and was able to win to, to not be, be destroyed. And I think this happened to Paul many times. And I uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapters, uh, several places, but in chapter 1 he says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our trouble that happened to us in Asia. We were under Greek pressure so far beyond our strength that we despaired even of living. We wanted to die. We felt like thinking it all. It was over. Have you ever felt like that? Well, Paul certainly did. You know, you feel like it's all over. I, I don't want to live anymore. Paul, what Paul did when he writes that, he says, it was beyond our strength. But that's why David says the same thing. My enemies were stronger, much stronger than me, but not stronger than you, Lord. Stronger than the Lord. In fact, we have within ourselves, Paul says, one Second Corinthians, the death sentence, so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's what God does. He works out of an impossible situation. He, he worked it, he, and sometimes it has to be to a point of not physical death, but we were dead. Attempts to, to resolve the situation, and then God wants to bring resurrection. And that's what He does. That's what He does. He rescued, I love verse 10. He said, He rescued us from so great a danger of death. He'll continue to rescue us. We have set our hope that He will rescue us again. It's kind of to say it's a past, present, and future. He did it, He does, and He will. But either way, Hebrew action is only a perfect and imperfect tense. This is almost like completed or incomplete. And, uh, and he does it. And then in, in, in chapter 4 of Second Corinthians, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay that's the surpassing greatness of the power may be from God and not from us, not from ourselves. We're hard-pressed in every way, yet not crushed. Perplexed, yet not in despair. We're persecuted, yet not forsaken. Struck down, yet not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Yeshua so that the life of Yeshua may also be revealed in our mortal body. Wow. That's God's plan for us as well. Paul says, my grace is, God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness in chapter 12. Yes. And I'm quoting Paul. So Paul said, I'm changing my attitude. And he understood that at that point in his life when he was asking God to get rid of this stake, this thorn that's really a stake in his flesh. And he says, says, I'm asking God, I'm stopped pleading for God to take it away. He says, because God allowed it so that your strength can be made perfect in my way. And he said, I'm going to thank you now for it instead of keep pleading, saying, get it, get it, help me get rid of it, Lord. Get rid of it. That's the way it means. Second Corinthians 2, 12. And so, Says, Paul says, I delight, therefore, in these things, in insults, and distresses, weaknesses, persecutions, calamities, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Look at a few more things in, 
David says in this song that he sings about here, verse 29, he says, For you are my lamp, Lord. You are my key. You are my lamp. The Lord shines in my darkness in his distress. He bursts, in other words, into my dark place of depression and despair. I can't see any way out, but his shining light comes in and gives me a burst of hope, enabling me to see and to guide me. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, right? In Psalm 119, 105, remember that song? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy right. Beautiful. We used to, that's such a great song. And uh, your word, that's what he says. It's, a, it's Proverbs 6, 23. It's a lamp. I see, in other words, the lamp illuminates, and now I can see God's vision that he has a plan for good. I begin to see a glimpse, at least, of that. Oh, yes, God, you are doing something. You have a purpose in all of this. You're doing something beyond what I can see. And someone once said, if God showed us, what he, what he, then we, we wouldn't, yeah, we'd mess it all up, right? David is probably fighting against Amalek all night when he had written this part of the song, many believe. In First Samuel chapter 30, because it says they fought all night long until the next evening. And so God was the illumination in the midst of that. And verse 31 is amazing. It says, the word of the Lord, I never saw this until I studied a few more, uh, even the Hebrew more. I, you know, I've translated different, many different translations, but I love this. The word of the Lord, it says, is trans- it's sharp. It's sharp. Very sharp. And I thought, wow, that's, and the rabbis coming up with that translation, that purifies us, that comes true, and that's the word of God is pure, but it's sharp. And I said, boy, that's probably what the writer of Hebrews is getting that from that, that train of uh, interpretation. <laughs> the word of God is what? Sharp and powerful. Sharper than any, live and powerful, sorry, live and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrows, a discerner, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It illuminates, it illuminates, we see, the Word of God does that. Psalm 119, 140, the Word of God is very sharp. And so, then in verse, look at verse uh, 30, for with you, I love this, don't you love this? He's singing, with you, I run through a troop. The word roots there can be his run. It's probably, rabbis think he's talking about when he fought again, the Amalekites. Or it could be from Ratzatz. Ratzatz, the root, instead of roots, which means to smash. By you, I I smash the troop. With my God, I can leap, jump. It means to jump a wall. Dalad means to jump. And when he captured a giant stronghold. But it's scaling a wall. I can jump over the wall. I scale it and attack it. Uh, remember he had asked God in that case, and he said, should I pursue them or should I not? And God said, go, pursue, go after him. And he caught up to them, and he conquered Amalek in First Samuel chapter 30. He makes in verse 30, my legs like a deer and sets me on my heights. The deer's feet, I love that. If you go to Israel, we hope to take a look in 2021, because we haven't been in a few years now. Uh, you know, you see, I love my favorite place, En Gedi in Israel. And you see those uh, gazelles, really, I guess they're, they're on, the, uh, on the cliffs, and they can just maneuver 
rugged cliffs, rugged roofs, no problem. These sharp, jagged cliffs. But they see that, he says, that's why you make my feet, my legs, really like a deer. And you set me on the heights, the deer's feet gripping those cliffs. Uh, you can run if you have to, the deer can run to safety, or it can uh, stay, get, get higher, and it can stop when it needs to come from one place. They can cop from one place to another. That's what God does with us, you see. Uh, he's the God of the possible, right? The impossible, right? The impossible. Don't limit yourself to what you think you can do. Don't measure by human standards. You must not do that. I've got to measure by God's standards, what He can do. What he, don't say, I can't do that. Well, good. It doesn't mean, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that, but I'm saying, if, you, if God's calling you, if He doesn't call us to do what we can do, He calls us to do what we can't do, except by leaning on Him, by trusting in Him. He wants His strength perfected in our weakness. So it drives me crazy if I'm saying, oh, I'm forever saying, well, that's not what I'm gifted. Well, that's not what I, well, you know, I, listen, it's what God is telling you to do. David was closed in on all sides, but he emerged unharmed from all his battles, all his adversity. And Jeremiah 32, 17, oh Lord, oh Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Behold, the Lord, you're the Lord God of, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Jeremiah 32, 27. And finally then, verse 35, I'll fin finish 30, with these few verses here. He trains my hands for battle, so my arms can bend a bow, a, a bronze bow, a bronze bow, wow, a bronze bow, unusual strength and special skill required to use this weaponry. God trained me. To be a master warrior, David is saying, an expert in combat tactics. God trained me. The Lord tutored me in all of this. He does that. We are in a spiritual battle, all of us. A, 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 a spiritual moral battle as well, internal. We battle the inside. We battle fight on the outside. All these battles, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but powerful through God to the tearing down of strongholds, where our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, and powers against worldly forces and of this darkness. Ephesians 6, 12. So we take up the full armor of God. God trains us. God equips us as we pray, as we look to Him, as we work together. And He says in verse 36, your, your, See, King James translates this one, Your gentleness has made me great. There have been some great songs written about that, and devotional said, and your gentleness. I think it's a beautiful, but it's not really what it said. <laughs> it says, it translates it here, Your answering has made me great. Well, that's not, that's possible. But the word ana, the word ana means literally, Your affliction has made me great. Literally, your affliction has multiplied me. Multiplied. The Hebrew word, multiplied me. You're afflicting me. You humble me. You weaken me. And that's what's made me great. And your 
humility, God, you are humble yourself, and you are my example, and you, your humility and humbling makes me great. That's what multiplies me. So don't, don't be, uh, don't, don't be adverse to God humbling us, afflicting us, it makes us, it's what's actually going to multiply you. And he says, you broaden my steps beneath me, verse 37, so my feet have not slipped you blind me. This week, I'm going to ask you a homework assignment. Write a song to the Lord. Amen? Write, compose a song. Go home. Or if you're in your home, remember, this take a time, be alone with the Lord. Listen, if you have a lousy voice, just do it and then or someone else can't isn't hearing it. No. <laughs> your voice is beautiful to the Lord. Shalom.